0: Welcome back to the Magnolia Media Podcast, part of the Magnolia Media Network. My name is Jonathan M. Ruggiero. Well, President Joe Biden surprised us all while at Valley Forge giving a pitch-perfect speech to begin the campaign season. He started by calling Donald Trump a loser. That will be our word of the day here at the Magnolia Media Podcast. Loser. Because that's what Donald Trump is. And if there is one word Donald Trump has tried to avoid like the plague throughout his life, it is the term loser. Again, a few days later in Charleston, South Carolina, at Emanuel AME Church, Joe Biden, President Joe Biden called Donald Trump a loser once again. It's the perfect term for him. In 2018, he was a loser. In 2020, he was a loser. In 2022, his candidates lost across the board. He is a loser. He even managed to lose the $450 million left to him by his father, Fred. Well, he's also failed at real estate and at the casino business. Of all the businesses in the world not to be able to make money at, A casino shouldn't be one. And he didn't just bankrupt one casino or even two casinos. Five. Five casinos. The man is truly scum. And I could not be prouder of our president, our commander-in-chief, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., who gave one of the great presidential speeches of all time at Valley Forge one day before the January 6th insurrection and is going to continue using that term loser to get under the skin of a man who is about to lose everything. In the New York Attorney General's fraud case, he is on the line for up to $370 million. Furthermore, he's being sued by E. Jean Carroll again. He's already got a default judgment against him in the AG's case in New York State and could be barred from ever again doing business in the state. At least that's what AG Letitia James is asking for at this time. We'll see what Judge Ingeron ultimately decides. This case has been going on for some time and is one that deeply worries Donald Trump. Mango Mussolini might lose all of his money. He might lose all of his power, all of his leverage, Everything that he is supposedly worked for in his life. However, that's not the only story of the day. We also had Hunter Biden showing up to a meeting of the Oversight Committee in Congress, walking in with a handful of lawyers and deciding to sit without being sworn in for official testimony. He was there to simply give them the opportunity. He would not agree to a closed-door session of questioning from Republicans because he knew that the Republican spin machine and all of the Republican news networks that lean toward fascism would just spin and spin and spin everything he had to say but in the clear light of day with cameras rolling well they wouldn't be able to get away with it so easily now would they so hunter sat and laughed at times while being grilled by nancy mace who can actually be bothered to get out of bed on this particular occasion so she could throw barbs at hunter biden like telling him he was the epitome of white privilege Perhaps she misspoke because if you've ever seen Nancy Mace, you would notice one glaring thing about her. She's a white woman. And she's a member of Congress for crying out loud. Now this charade, this circus went on for a while while Democrats like Jared Moskowitz said, let's swear him in now. You want a deposition from the president's only remaining son, now's your opportunity. But they wouldn't do it. Again, the cameras were rolling. And if you remember back in the summer, Chairman James Comer said an open session or a closed session was possible for Hunter Biden if he would just come and give testimony to the House Oversight Committee, only to change his tune a couple of days later when he realized if It's an open-door session and the cameras will be rolling and we won't be able to spin this thing to death. So there was no swearing in. And instead, when the microphone was handed to Marjorie Taylor Greene, a.k.a. Barney Rubble, Hunter Biden promptly stood up along with his attorneys, buttoned his jacket, and walked out of the U.S. Capitol. She went on uh, an angry tirade about... Him being afraid of her, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We all know that's nonsense. We know that a woman who shared his non consensual nudes on the House floor wasn't going to get anything from Hunter Biden, not without swearing him in and making it official testimony. So, a round of applause for President Biden and his son. Now, as we move in to the heart of today's podcast, I want to touch on a subject that's near and dear to my heart, and that is the opioid crisis. A little bit about me. Going all the way back as far as 2008, where I started in life at age 19 as a real estate agent, had come to an abrupt end in 2007 when the real estate market, especially the secondary real estate market, began to crumble. I was left with a career that I really didn't want and was kind of forced into by my father. I was finally about to turn 23 and could begin planning to file for financial aid. Back then, we had what was called the 24-year exemption, meaning you had to be 24 years of age to file for financial aid without your parents' tax returns. And as I mentioned before, when I was 18, I discovered my parents hadn't filed taxes in a decade. So I was stuck going to a junior college, at least for about three semesters before my father called and unceremoniously pulled the plug on that and said, look, I'll pay for you to go to real estate school, but I will no longer pay for you to go to junior college. So That's what I did. I went, I took the two-month course, and I became a real estate agent, an affiliate broker in the state of Tennessee, which meant that I got to work two jobs, one that paid nothing, and another at a restaurant at nighttime. Well, 2007 finally came, and in the summer of 2007, the real estate market began to crumble, and so did a career that I frankly didn't want. So I could begin to game plan on going to college and I had my own tax returns this time. The 24-year exemption was finally about up for me. I was about to turn 24 and could apply for financial aid and could return to college and that's exactly what I did. In the fall of 2008 at age 24 I returned to the same little junior college where I had began my academic career all those years earlier. This time I was really making um, a lot of progress. I intended to become an attorney and things were just moving along beautifully. I kept my night job and went to class during the day. I was really going at it around the clock. Everything looked to be going smoothly. However, in the spring, summer of 2009, somewhere in there, I aggravated a muscle in my back. It was an old injury I had left over from high school, but it was severe enough to warrant a visit to the doctor. And my local family doctor prescribed me 15 milligram roxycodone painkillers, 90 days worth. Well, after 90 days, I was hooked. The prescription was up, but I wasn't done yet. I ran into some folks that I worked with Who were getting something like a thousand pills a month in 30 milligram form. And they were only 20 bucks at a time when these pills cost $30 a piece. So it was fun for a while. And then it led to possibly the darkest period of my life. And when you think it can't get any darker, it suddenly does get darker things just kept getting worse. I did not finish my degree. I ended up flunking out of college the next year and just working in restaurants full-time to afford my very expensive drug habit. As the high from these pills only lasts four to six hours, I was more or less constantly chasing the next one. And of course, the withdrawal is very, very severe. In the fall of 2011, I opened up to the one person in my family I knew I could turn to, my maternal grandmother. She was there for me. She helped me try and quit cold turkey. And after a couple of months of essentially being locked in her house and unable to go anywhere on my own or have any money in my pocket due to my admission that I had been addicted to those heavy narcotics for some time. I decided to move with my then-girlfriend to her hometown in Central Northern Pennsylvania. It was there when I finally learned to live without opioids on a daily basis, and I stayed through 2012 and through most of 2013, returning to Tennessee in the late summer early fall of 2013 and I took a job at a local restaurant that was just opening here in our hometown of Knoxville, Tennessee. That was great. I had a wonderful time. I was enjoying myself and as far as pain pills went I could take them or leave them. It wasn't as if I was tied to anything. I was drinking heavily, I was drinking on a regular basis, a nightly basis, whiskey for the most part, but I wasn't using prescription pills. I was getting plenty of sleep, and I was having a nice time. Life was good, but I had yet to seek professional help. I thought I could do this on my own. I thought that I had beaten the demon, and boy was I wrong. Sometime around January or February of 2014, I relapsed and I relapsed hard. I fell right on my face. But this time, I was mixing it with alcohol. Copious amounts of alcohol. Bourbon to be precise. On a nightly basis. It wasn't long until I lost my job. Then took another job and lost it. And another job and lost it. The mixing of booze and pills was a toxic mix, one that made me an absolutely horrible person, awful to be around. And by the late summer of 2014, I was contemplating my options. I knew that life had become worthless, that the darkness, the shroud that hung over me was so bad that I didn't think there was any way of ever actually getting out of it. After doing some research, I discovered that traditional rehab cost between 25 and 40 thousand dollars a month a completely unreasonable number for the average person and with a success rate of only four to six percent those numbers courtesy of the cdc now after doing a little research i discovered medicated assisted therapy and i gave it a try and who did i turn to for help Again, my maternal grandmother, who was there for me. She had my back. She offered me the credit and support necessary to get through that first year of outpatient rehab where I was going in each day, being randomly drug tested, seeing a psychiatrist, and seeing a doctor on a regular. Things started to really turn around for me in a hurry. Almost instantly. I could see a major difference. And within a couple of months, I felt I was on the right path. I'll say this for my maternal grandmother, who we lost on October 15th of 2020 in the height of the pandemic. However, she did not die from any COVID related illness. She had fallen ill with vascular dementia And her body finally gave out. I'll say this. I'm not a big believer in heaven. But wherever it is, the souls of remarkable people go when they pass. I hope that when it's my time to go, they'll let me visit her there. Even if for just a moment. Now, moving forward... In 2024, I will be celebrating my 10 year anniversary without having relapsed, without any of the headache that can come with trying to get off and stay off prescription opioids. And in a lot of ways, I consider myself fortunate because I got out before the fentanyl crisis really started to hit in the United States. And every time I hear Republican lawmakers saying that these poor immigrants who are coming to border crossings in Texas or Arizona or New Mexico are trying to traffic fentanyl, it is dehumanizing. It's dehumanizing to those people, especially coming from people who are supposedly Christian. Aren't these two God's people? Aren't they also children of God? I mean, if you're a Christian, isn't that what you're taught from an early age? How about we stop demonizing other human beings and first take stock of the fact they're human beings coming here for asylum, coming here for some escape from the awful things happening in their countries, countries that were often destroyed by the United States of America in the first place. Thank you very much, Ronald Reagan, for completely decimating Central America while you were in office in the 1980s. In my lifetime, no Republican president has done anything positive for the American people. Reaganism brought on the greatest inequality this country has ever seen. And we're living through it now with multiple men worth more than $200 billion apiece. Elon, we're talking about you men who are getting completely out of hand. And now here we are in 2024 and we have a president and Joe Biden who is comparable only to FDR, the Infrastructure Act, the CHIPS Act, gun control, making sure that the LGBTQ community and gay marriage was protected at the federal level and having marijuana rescheduled by the Drug Enforcement Agency. Currently, it's scheduled as a more dangerous substance than methamphetamine and heroin. Now, whether you support or don't support marijuana, you have to admit that it certainly is not more dangerous than heroin or methamphetamine. However, that's where we are in this country, making progress. And once again, we have to fight off Mango Mussolini, who says, and we should believe him, that he will be dictator on day one. He says it'll only be for a day, but we all know that's a lie. He's also said he's learned lessons from the first time he was president, and he knows better than to have responsible people around him. There will be no John Kellys, no uh, General McMasters, nobody around to stop him when his worst impulses take over he'll appoint someone like jeffrey clark chief insurrectionist, who tried to orchestrate a plan to overturn the 2020 election which is something donald trump is still complaining about he truly believes in his demented mind that he can convince others that the 2020 election was stolen despite being turned away by more than 60 courts, including courts with judges he appointed. So it's not a partisan issue. The 2020 election was perhaps the safest election in American history. And we should all be proud to have a president like Joe Biden. And I am so sick of hearing about his age. First of all, Donald Trump is two and a half years younger, morbidly obese and facing 91 criminal charges. 91! For anyone else, that would be automatically disqualifying, but somehow for Donald Trump, it helps him with his base of miscreants. If you're still in this group of people, in this group of extremists who want to see democracy die and would rather have Vladimir Putin as president than Joseph Robinette Biden, then move to Russia, move to Belarus, go ahead, get out. I don't know what else to say for you. This Congress run by Republicans is so chaotic, they can't even put a package together to support Israel and Ukraine. And yes, I take note of what's going on in Gaza and the humanitarian crisis being created by the reckless warfare of the Israeli Defense Ministry. The Israeli Defense Ministry has really just run wild over there. Things have gotten completely out of hand and it's becoming very, very close to a regional conflict with Hezbollah and Lebanon just to the north of Israel with the Iranians being involved and proxy wars all over the Middle East. And now Houthi rebels in Yemen, who are also part of Iran or one of Iran's organizations, is attacking commercial ships trying to make their way through the Gulf. These ships are instead having to reroute all the way around the southern tip of Africa, which could drive inflation back up again. We forget about these things when we're talking about Republicans, that these people can't even pass a budget. That you have a speaker in Mike Johnson who doesn't believe in the U.S. Constitution. He only believes in his Bible. Well, we're protected from that in the First Amendment. You don't have to go as far as the Second Amendment. See the founders were smart enough to build that into the First Amendment so that we know the separation of church and state is absolute. And by the way, what religion would want their God, would want their Messiah, drug into the filth and the muck that often is American politics, or politics anywhere for that matter. For years and years and years and years, evangelicals didn't vote at all because it was outside their purview. They didn't care what went on with the federal government because the only God they recognize resides in, quote, heaven. Well, that may be the case, and perhaps they should go back to that. Maybe they should just go back to having their Messiah and get the delusion of Donald Trump being a Messiah out of your head. This three-time divorce, three-time divorcee with multiple children, with multiple women and $136,000 payoff to a porn star, one of who knows how many, not to mention his very close relationship with Jeffrey Epstein should lead everybody who's religious to completely dump this guy and move on to the next person. I mean, you had real options before you turned everyone in the Republican Party into fascists. And that's what we're up against. It doesn't matter if it's Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, or, my God, Vivek Ramaswamy. They're fascists. That's as anti-American as you can possibly get. While we bask in having a president like Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., a president of whom I could not be prouder, a man who has done so much for the country already, Including getting inflation under control at twice the speed in which it went up. It's come back down. Wages have now surpassed inflation. There are plenty of glaring holes in the American economy. The wealth gap, which will take some time to fix, it's not something that says fixable overnight but i don't see any bills flying out of a republican congress to do anything about it in fact if they had it their way they would probably increase the wealth of the one percent of one percent of one percent they would do all they can to cut taxes and remember donald trump's one legislative achievement when he had complete when republicans had complete control of congress They did one thing, and that one thing was the 2017 tax cut. The tax cut that added $2 trillion a year to the U.S. deficit. It wasn't paid for like the $1.6 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill passed and signed by Joseph Robinette Biden. Also, if we had had better management in the white house perhaps we could have avoided so many deaths from covid by the time donald trump left office 1.1 million americans had lost their life that's a sad and sobering reminder of what poor leadership can get you i've made poor decisions in my life and this opioid crisis is only getting worse. We're seeing more and more deaths from the poisoning of drug addicts with substances like fentanyl. And of course, all of this started way back in the late 90s with the advent of Oxycontin. Oxycontin, of course, is produced or was produced by Purdue Pharma. Purdue Pharma is owned and operated by the Sackler family. The Sackler family misrepresented and lied about the addictive nature of the substances they were selling. And after so many years of litigation, after so much back and forth with the Sackler family, they are now sitting in front of a bankruptcy judge without having filed bankruptcy, offering to pay $6 billion dollars Now, that $6 billion is not part of a bankruptcy. They're not actually declaring bankruptcy. Yes, they should be required to file for bankruptcy and to have every dollar they have taken away. But instead, a bankruptcy judge is considering shielding them from any future civil or criminal prosecution by just settling the whole thing for $6 billion, not requiring them to file bankruptcy and letting them ride off into the sunset. And based on their net worth, that $6 billion will be recouped over the next decade anyway. So it's completely ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous that these people aren't going to prison after demonizing the addicts they created. I was one of those. I was one of those sad saps who got sucked into that terrible cycle of use and repeat, use and repeat, use and repeat. And for the record, I just crushed them up and sniffed them. There was plenty of intravenous drug use around. That just wasn't my thing. And as a result, I have buried many a friend. I've seen people Die, who I had known for 20 plus years. Some of my closest friends. People who were able to separate drugs and friendship. People who I was able to keep in my life even after I got sober. Because they respected that boundary. But they're gone. And the Sackler family, they're simply going to buy themselves out of this. Whoever the judge is in this case should be disbarred and removed from the bench. There is no way in the world you can tell me that it's okay to allow a family to simply throw money at a problem so they can be shielded forever and they can go back to their fancy estates in the United States and Europe and South America and Asia, wherever, and live out the rest of their life and the epitome of luxury with everything a person, a family, a man, a woman could ever want. It's ridiculous. On its face, it's ridiculous. And I hope it's rejected. And I hope the Department of Justice steps in and says, no, this will not stand. We will fight against it every step of the way. Well, after all of that being said, one more round of applause for Hunter Biden, for sitting in there laughing at Nancy Mace, for getting up and walking out on Barney Rubble, aka Marjorie Trader Green, and President Joseph Robinette Biden. Finding that special word, that special phrase when he called Donald Trump a loser it makes me think of Jim Carrey's La Her" Because that's exactly what he is: a loser. So, well, all of that being said, winding down for the day, I've done about all the damage I can do. I think I've hurt just about all the feelings I can hurt for one day. One last note, our editor, director, and producer of this podcast was Logan Ramsey. Our assistant director and assistant copy editor was Courtney Halstead. And from all of us here at the Magnolia Media Podcast, part of the Magnolia Media Network, be well.